fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? Welcome to Energetic Health Radio, and thank you so much for listening, and thank you for sharing, sharing the evidence you can trust on Energetic Health Radio and in our weekly, this week in COVID research articles that you can find exclusively on the America Out Loud Network. Are you ready for another great show? All right, fantastic. Let's go to work. Question of the day, am I a domestic terrorist? for simply speaking truth, Hmm. right? I can't believe that I just got called a domestic terrorist by our Department of Homeland Security for speaking truth, for showing science, empirical evidence, peer-reviewed science, for looking objectively at the data that is being published by a federal agency, the CDC, For looking into all of this, I am now, according to the Department of Homeland Security, a domestic terrorist, okay? (laughs) Well, you know who else has been called domestic terrorists? Martin Luther King Jr. He was labeled a domestic terrorist. Um, Let's see, Marcus Garvey was labeled a domestic terrorist. Harriet Tubman was labeled a domestic terrorist right? And actually had a bounty on her head. For what? Because each of those three people believed in freedom for all and freedom forever, which is the same thing I believe in. Now, while I'm not putting myself in their company, all right, please don't get me misunderstood. I am proud to be in their company and wear that same badge of honor that uh, they were labeled with as well. But isn't it a little odd? Don't you find it a little odd that the Department of Homeland Security labeled people like me, people like you, as domestic terrorists yesterday, or I should say on February 7th? Isn't that interesting that our own Department of Homeland Security is calling people who are questioning the narrative who are saying, hey, there's something really wrong here that we have to do something about if we love our country. I love my country. I love all the people in it, especially the ones that are smart enough to not trust their government. You know, I I don't trust our government. I think trust is earned. You have to prove it. And when you're in the position that elected officials are in and appointed officials are in, you, you have to earn it every single day through your actions. And you keep doing that every single day. Yeah, I'll start lowering my guard again. But I'm going to tell you, that's not going to happen for quite some time with what you've been pulling off these last couple of years. You've been lying to us for two years. You've been vilifying and censoring. You've been making people feel afraid. You've been turning families against each other. And you've locked down healthy people. 
You made everyone feel like if they were healthy, they might still be sick. You made people afraid of air. You put masks on children and freak them out. Why in the world would I trust a government that takes that position on something like this, rather than taking the position that they are going to aggressively pursue the origins of this virus and prosecute the people who are guilty of misappropriating American taxpayer dollars to create a global pandemic that's killed millions of people. Why in the world would I trust that government, right? Well, I find it very interesting seeing how quickly Canada has now backed off of their vaccine passport system, how Saskatchewan and Ottawa and all these places um, have magically taken it down. They haven't given any credit to the trucker convoys, but we know what happened. We saw, we saw that the trucker convoys were there. And when they finally stepped up and shut some places down, you know, and thank you truckers for doing that. Way to show us the pathway on how to boycott in 2022. Way to show us how to be felt in 2022 peacefully. That after the truckers did what they did, everything changed. Folks, it's so interesting to be called a domestic terrorist. You know, it's something that I didn't think would happen, but I'm not surprised. You know, um, you know, after you see so many people on the, what is it, the disinformation dozen list and that, that farce of what that was, they've, they've been trying to vilify us for years, for two years now, they've been trying to vilify us just because we want to speak the truth and have an open, transparent conversation about what's going on. Now, in a free society, you shouldn't be made to feel like you're a villain for doing the right things. Doesn't that tell you that something's wrong? Joseph Goebbels, and I keep coming back to this person because Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist who is largely responsible for how we market throughout the world to this day, he said, if you are doing something that's illegal, Accuse your enemy of doing it before they find out that you're actually the one doing it. And that's what's happened here with the Department of Homeland Security. They're accusing us of being domestic terrorists because we love our country and we're not seeking to profit off of the suffering and murder and disease of our fellow countrymen and fellow countrywomen. They're accusing us of that which they are guilty of. It's right out of the Goebbels playbook of propaganda. And I'm going to remind them, do you know what Goebbels finally came to in revelation after it was all said and done? After 60 million people were killed fighting Nazi aggression around the world. 60 million people had to die in a four-year time frame for us to come to a firm understanding that above all, freedom must reign. Above all, a person's body is their property, not the property of the government. 
And that if you want to experiment on someone, it must be in a transparent fashion without coercion or mandate. That if you want to experiment on someone, they have to be willing to go into that experimentation, that you cannot violate their right to decline any medical treatment. This is basic fundamental rights that the Nuremberg Code established and that we established in this country as 45 CFR 46 are informed consent laws. It's interesting to me to watch CNN backpedal and start saying now, well, the science has changed. We should make masking a parent's decision. Really? That sounds like you're going to get in the crosshairs of the Department of Homeland Security to me. You're stealing our talking points. I was reading an article earlier this week on NPR that was espousing the science behind natural immunity, something Dr. Paul Alexander has been saying for months and months and months and months. Do they give any credit to Dr. Paul Alexander? No. Did CNN make an apology? No. They're just stealing our talking points and at the same time attempting to label us as domestic terrorists. <laughs> All right. You think we're stupid. You're going to find out just the opposite is true. On today's show, we're going to bring forward, I guess, somebody who's also a domestic terrorist and he's running for government. It's, what a crazy world, right? Superintendent Mark Thielman. Um, we're so lucky to have him. He has uh, been working on behalf of kids and parents since um, for a long time, but especially with respect to COVID from the very beginning. He's the only superintendent to uh, pass with his board a resolution to bring back local control over masks in the state. Um, he's actually the one that's responsible for putting pressure on the governor to rescind the mask mandate. And she said, as of February 7th, that by March 31st, kids can take off their masks. Well, way to go, Governor. Thanks. Six weeks, really, to take the kids off, take masks off of kids. I think it takes about six split seconds to take them off. All right. That's ridiculous. Uh, only superintendent Mark Thielman is to keep his school open in 2020 and 2021 school year, despite statewide school lockdowns. And, without a, and he did this without a single case of COVID traced back to his school exposure. He did it safely. Only school superintendent in Oregon to testify against the Oregon Health Authority in oral testimony against the permanent indoor mask rules. That's right. In Oregon, they said, well, we're going to let you take the masks off of kids in six weeks, but not before we go against the entire public. There wasn't one report of a person who supported masking becoming a permanent option by OSHA, but they did it anyway. They don't care. Dems don't care. I hate to say it like that. I used to be a Democrat. I used to be a progressive. Won't ever be that again. I won't ever be a Republican. So I just want you all to be clear. I'm, I'm as neutral, independent as you're ever going to find. I vote based upon people, not on political lines. If a person has a good heart and a person has a lot of integrity, I'm going to vote for them. Because I'm going to trust that that good heart and that good sense of integrity is going to carry with them as they get into office and get more power. And I'm going to tell you folks, Mark Thielman is that person. Mark Thielman is that person who has a good heart and a good moral compass about him as well. So I hope you'll join me right after the break to listen to what 
Superintendent Mark Thielman, candidate for governor in the state of Oregon, has to say about the mask mandates and especially what parents can do, because he's got some great advice in there, what parents can do to make sure we are fighting back in a way that's actually going to be effective. All right. Some great stuff right after these messages from Energetic Health Radio. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Ready to take control of your health? Well, at EHI, we'll help you tap into the power you already possess, heal what hurts as you learn organic, evidence-based nutrition, botanical medicine, Eastern energetics, Western science, and so much more. Learn what every doctor should know. Learn from people who really care and love what you'll learn for a lifetime. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org. EnergeticHealthInstitute.org, O-R-G, and bring the joy of energetic health into your life. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio and Superintendent Mark Thielman right after these messages. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Today we're joined by special guest, dear friend of mine, Superintendent Mark Thielman who is running for governor in the great state of Oregon. You know, there's been a lot in the news about you lately and your stance that the parents should be in control of what goes into and upon their children's bodies. What can you tell our listeners about the fights you've had recently to protect parents' rights? Well, so the way we approach uh, education in the LC School District is that we see parents as uh, kind of our customers, that, mm-hmm. that, that we are um, really, uh, it's, it's an honor for them to trust us with their children and that, and that engagement that comes with uh, educating children. And so that makes, uh, for us, it makes parents in the kind of the drivers in the seat. Mm-hmm. And we are there as co-pilots 
because, you know, we're in local print <laughs> or in place of the parent during the day when the parents drop the little ones off for us to, to work with. And so that relationship is paramount in order to maintain what we call confidence. Mm-hmm. Parents have to have confidence that their kids are safe at our school. They have to have confidence that we're working towards goals that are mutually agreed on, like learning how to read and write, learning about the constitution, learning about how to be a good citizen, those kinds of things. And to um, what, what we've seen is a real shift in schools away from those things to more ideological things. In other words, more telling kids what to think instead of how to think. And, um, you know, obviously that creates a different relationship. So mm-hmm. in LC, parents in being in charge is paramount. And we see it, the kind of the business model we've set up. I know it's scary to say that about a public school, but we actually have a business model because we're a charter school. So we are able to compete for our kids from other nice. states. So we have to deliver a relationship uh, that generates confidence. We have to deliver educational results that parents can see in their children. Mm-hmm. And it, it puts us in a different, or creates a different relationship in which if we start introducing very unpopular things like critical race theory is the one or social emotional learning, mm-hmm. which is another hugely mm-hmm. divisive thing, um, then, then what we're doing is we're actually harming the confidence that we're creating and we're, and we're create division among our parents. And that would harm the product. Right. So um, because we're a public school, but we have this kind of, uh, I don't know, marketplace application of um, uh, in terms of relationship, it, it, it causes us to say this would not be good for business mm-hmm. if we introduced it, even though the Department of Education says it's the only thing we should be teaching. Right. So you can see where automatically it puts us in a position to be a little bit contrarian to the current educational leadership and trends. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it definitely sounds like it. And the, the things that you're saying that I really appreciate are that you're focused on trust and building the parental confidence and saying that, no, parents are an essential part of this relationship and we, we couldn't do it without it. It's a partnership that you're developing. Now, you also, you know, it made me, quite frankly, I, mean, I, I wish I lived closer. I would want my son in your school district because I know he's going to be taken care of the right way because you care. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You care. You care about the kids. You care about the parents. And it shows in your actions. Now, you've gotten some brushback um, on a number of things, right? You've gotten some brushback most recently on these masks, you yeah. know. Uh, so what can you tell us about? about what's going on with that. Cause you're one of the first school districts that has you're, you're to my knowledge, the first school district, the first school superintendent who said, no, we are not doing this in our state. Other States have taken the masks off of, off of some kids, but you're the first one that said, we're not doing it. What is that? What's, what's going on behind the scenes? What can you share? What, what, what should we know about that as parents? Well, you know, it's, it's another example of really poor leadership from the organization health authority and the department of education and governor Brown's office, you know, it's all really one entity. There's, there's just one group of people and they're the elites and they, Mm -hmm. they've got the uh, cornerstone of the monopoly on, on regulation and power. And so the, 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 and that's fine in the sense, but um, there's another thing that parents and, and, you know, a lot of uh, just regular citizens are looking at and that's called reality. (laughs) And that creates this, Conflict. Well, but it's so true. So the thing is, you know, you see the slip about vaccine efficacy. When it first came out, it was going to, you know, you get your vaccine, no more mask, you just go about your life. And right. then it was, well, put your mask back on, but at mm-hmm. least you won't die. And then, well, your symptoms might be more mild. 
Well, now the difference in Omicron between vaccinated and unvaccinated is so narrow that you don't get any real genuine efficacy at all. And, and even if you think you do, it's to the point where some of the negative implications of the vaccine, the reactions and things that, that are now understood to be real, and even the CDC admits that and now acknowledges that vaccine injury is real with this, with this vaccine. Right. You have to say, is the juice worth the squeeze? And that's, that's the difference. That's, that's what brought us to this place with masks because uh, when we first started with uh, COVID back in 2020, you know, we ordered those paper surgical masks, obviously. Right. And it said right on the box in those days, does not protect against viruses. And the funny thing is about eight months later, that warning was removed from the right. boxes. Right. We even had an email from ODE at the onset of 2020 saying, don't leave masks out in the box because the, the uh, because that warning was on the box. And people right. Were, Why am I wearing this if it doesn't work? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, burn the box, right? Burn the evidence. Get it out of there. Yeah, remember, and so I just want people to understand they, that that was back when it was, you know, large saliva particles. Right. And so you might get some efficacy from a cloth mask because it, it does have the capacity to capture some of those large particles. So, but but then it went to Delta was airborne, mm-hmm. and then the mask is out the window. So with Omicron, it's even mm-hmm. more contagious, which is common with as you know viruses mutate, they tend to be more contagious and less deadly. Right. So when, and the, when the uh, series of studies were coming out of Europe, of course, and, you know, I know you're familiar with all that, but mm-hmm. when the Samaritan health services in Corvallis, Oregon, which is a larger urban area within earshot of Alsea, mm-hmm. when they announced and had published in the Gazette times, which is the media that they would no longer allow people with paper and cloth masks into their facilities. This is January 10th. Right. And after that, keeping kids in, or at least high school and middle school kids in masks was a lot more difficult because they're right. like, hey, if the hospital says they don't work. Right. So, so we had a crisis of confidence and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like enough's enough. So we had a board meeting in three days. So mm-hmm. I started working with my board and I said, well, I said, and I called my board chairman. I said, so well, I got good news for you. You guys have been wanting me to uh, come up with a way to get rid of masks. And he was like, yeah. I go, I'm bringing a resolution to the board. (laughs) And he was like, oh, okay. So I had a big, had language on it and a big draft. And it had all this data from the CDC and Mm -hmm. even some stuff that you had sent me, by the way, I put in as, whereas, you know, the, the Omicron is less deadly. Whereas kids of the school age, whereas Dr. Fauci said on this date, whereas Samaritan health services on Jan 10th have conceded that there's no efficacy of these masks. And whereas the CDC and other studies out of Europe have have now acknowledged that the negative impacts that masks have harmed the education of our children, mm-hmm. yeah, 23% yep. loss of cognitive, which is an intelligence coefficient. Yep. They're learning less. They're having more anxiety. Yep. These are the facts. They're learning less. They're having more generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm associated with masking, they are having, um, um, other implications, you know, some have skin things, there's some dental stuff, Those are a lot of that. Minor, but, but yep. there's still negative impacts. Yep. And, and, um, um, ultimately they're not stopping the spread because Omicron is so small and it, it passes right through the cloth. So if, and I, this is what I, how I framed it with the school board. If we now know and have all these experts 
a, you know, AKA the CDC who are admitting that uh, these masks don't work, but at the same time they're saying, but they do do harm. What is an ethical school board going to do? Amen. See, and that they, so the board, they passed it that night. I thought they'd take a month. And uh, that's how adamant the school board was. 5-0, unanimous. We're going to implement right away. And, and we can come back next month and talk about how the implementation goes. And uh, that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And it shows you how much the school board is c- concerned about maintaining confidence. Yep. And also not creating liability. If you know they don't work and you and you force every kid to stay in them yep. forever yep. because they just made them permanent. Um, and you know that that harms the kid for no benefit. How long do you think it's going to take before somebody gets sued? Exactly. Right. Exactly. An angle that most people aren't aren't thinking about here and they they should. Now, you just made a comment about them being permanent now. Masks are now permanent in the uh, in Oregon. I think this is the only state in the entire country that has done this. Right. What can you tell us about how you how you work to fight back on that issue and why this is such a bad decision on their part? Well, you know, they had a public testimony time and uh, they were going to sneak it through back in November. And it was actually my campaign that sounded the alarm and that got a lot of activist groups going. And then uh, OHA decided to postpone it until January. Mm-hmm. And, and again, so when the, the, uh, they, they then also allowed for a new round of public testimony. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were 335 people who waited in line. I waited, uh, I had my computer on for seven hours before I was called. And in that seven hours, there were zero superintendents that testified. I I mean, to this day, I can't believe it. Wow. Zero. I was the only superintendent who spoke out. And I I told, you know, the folks at OHA, you killed the four C's, you killed competence because you're incompetent because you already know these things don't work. You're, Mm -hmm. You're saying you're supporting the science, but you're acting contrary to the science mm-hmm. you you've killed you uh, credibility and i know that you have no credibility because i went to the pioneer cemetery and you have a tombstone it says here lies all the credibility of oha <laughs> right and of course you know these people are listening like what and mm-hmm. i go i said but i do have a question for you experts at oha since you guys are self-declared experts did it did your credibility die with covid or because of covid right and they didn't appreciate that. And then, of course, people were listening and recording that and it went viral. And so I like to do that. I like to, to force the conflict. And, of course, I'm being tongue in cheek. And then they killed confidence of the public and common sense. Right. Because here's why. If you know they don't work and you know mm-hmm. they do harm um, and, you know, they create disparities for for uh, more vulnerable populations like special ed kids and, and socioeconomically disadvantaged and BIPOC and LGBTQ. And you know this. Right. All mm-hmm. that data is there. What is our OHA and our overlords doing? What do they do? Well, we know it doesn't work. So now we're going to make it permanent. Right. I mean, that's the definition of idiocy. Right. I don't know how you can look at it any other way. Let me see. This thing that we are forcing children to put on. First, let let me back up a little bit. I'm I'm going to have your back right here for a second. We know from the CDC's own data that if you're under 18, the recovery rates are higher. And I want to be very clear about this, higher than 99.99%. Okay. Let me say that again to everybody listening. The recovery rates in children around the country under 18 years of age are 99.99% higher than that. So 
this is no risk. This is as close to zero risk as you can get ever in a real life situation. Mm-hmm. We also know from that we also know that the CDC has not done any um, ethical randomized controlled clinical trials on this in the two years that they've had American taxpayer dollars to do so. Yep. We also know that the CDC Europe did a meta-analysis in February of 2021 on the effectiveness of masks. And what it showed was that at best, and they couldn't say this with confidence even, but at best, it reduced infective spread by 1.2% in communities at best. Okay. When while, you look at- While creating a negative harm for kids in their learning. <laughs> while, while, while skyrocketing, while skyrocketing drug overdose- drug overdoses, while adversely impacting key learning um, performance metrics, Mm -hmm. and while making kids absolutely miserable. I mean, if you want to make kids, my son was in uh, school for a short period after the schools reopened, Mark. and And I remember talking with you about this. I was so upset because they were marching them around. They might as well have been in orange jumpsuits. They were marching them around like prisoners. And I was like, that's not what school is. School is supposed to be something. I'm an educator like you. School is supposed to be something that kids are looking forward to going to every day, that they're excited. They can't wait not only to see their friends, of course, but because of what they're learning, how they're learning, the engagement, the knowledge that they are becoming more and more independent every single day they spend in the classroom. Like you said earlier, I love it. I I, I use that same phrase. We're here to teach kids how to think not what to think, right? This is what it's supposed to be about. So I really appreciate everything, you know, that you're doing on these fronts. It's, it's incredible. I'm listening to you and I'm like, isn't this the kind of person we want running a state? <laughs> you know, this, this kind of sounds like the guy who's going to go, look, I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to, I'm going to get the facts. I'm not going to be corporate, you know, corrupt and captured and everything. I'm going to, I'm going to care about the people that I'm, elected to serve, whether they voted for me or not. That's what I've always loved about you, Mark, you know, that you, you genuinely care. And that's what we need in our, you know, in our elected officials. So before we go to break, I have one more question for you, because, you know, you, 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 you first came to prominence, you know, nationwide when you kept the, the, the school open, when you kept the Alsea school district open for business K through 12. Right. Um, you know, and I know it wasn't easy. And this is where I want to give you a little bit of time to, to tell folks. We got about three, four minutes here, but I want to give you a little bit of time to talk to the people and just say, what went on a little bit behind the scenes with you keeping the schools open? What is what does a fight look like with the Oregon Department of Education, ODE, and the governor and, and OSHA? What does it look like from your perspective when you're on your side of the fight? Well, you know, I really appreciate you framing it that way. So, um, you know, we they forced all schools closed in the spring of 2019. I think mm-hmm. you remember that. Yep. Um, we were just past spring break, so only about a quarter of the school year left, and and they didn't let anybody open. And so, in my school district, we I told my 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 uh, admin, we have to everything we do is going to be critical because we have to maintain the confidence of our parents. So we started with deliveries and we started, we went to online before there was any directive to do so. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that didn't, you know, ODE responded very harshly that basically they sent me a memo saying I was making, or Elsie was making the rest of the school public schools look bad, but we don't have an obligation to, to uh, help raise Portland public school kids. Mm-hmm. Our obligation is to support 
all our Alsea families and we're in charter schools. So we had kids in Eugene and Corvallis and up in Salem and we had quite a route and we, we hand delivered to all those folks and supported those kids. And, and we did as best we could online, but it, as good as that was, and it was better than most, it was way substandard. It was right. so substandard that the teachers, the, the classified staff, um, the admin and the school board, there was never even any discussion or debate. Mm-hmm. It was, well, we can't be closed ever again. Right, right. So, uh, and what did the governor do? She said, you're going to be closed again. So what I did is I um, used some of my political connections because I do school, uh, school policy and legislative work up in the mm-hmm. Capitol. And mm-hmm. sure enough, we got uh, a rural senator to forge up, or I found out about a rural senator who um, kind of decided to, to pick up the mantle on rural schools that had no COVID at the time. Right. We didn't. And so that was enough. So the governor opened the door and, and uh, I went down and met with some superintendents who were going to be in that conversation. I wasn't in it, but they were going mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we poured a, a little fine distilled beverage and I, mm-hmm. and I sat with them and said, okay, here, the, here's what you write. Bang, bang. Here, these are the metrics for mm-hmm. small schools to stay open. And sure enough, it happened. Um, so once we were able to stay open, the, the, the state said, you can be open, but only K3. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to be open K-12. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And that's what we did. So we opened K-12 and, um, and they basically were waiting for us to have a massive outbreak. That never happened. We went the whole year without a single case being traced back to the school. So that's because called you Because you followed the science. Yes. That's what following the science looks like, right? Yep. Exactly. How, how, how cool is that? You didn't, there's, there's a, there's the narrative and then there's the science. And I'm, I'm so appreciative for your fight. Uh, folks, we're going to take a short break. Uh, be right back with more of Mark Thielman, candidate for governor in the state of Oregon, right after these messages. Folks, emergencies don't last for years. From the outset, the CDC repeatedly violated federal laws to hyperinflate COVID data and defraud the American people. They lied while we died. They failed while we suffered. And I should say suffer. They profit while we fight for what's right. If you're tired of this new normal of willful misconduct and if you're tired of the corruption, then fight for your freedom using love, logic, and light by signing the grand jury petition that can set us all free. Go to COVIDCon, COVIDCon21.com, and educate yourself on the alleged crimes that must be brought to justice. Join the more than 100,000 Americans demanding transparency, integrity, and accountability in our governance. This isn't a party issue. This is a freedom issue. Ah, flubbed that one, didn't I, audience? This is a freedom issue. That's what I meant to say. Let's do what's right and enjoy the fight. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. 
go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with special guest Mark Thielman, candidate for governor in the great state of Oregon, superintendent for the Alsi School District, a brave school district where parents are valued. And I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm a parent. So it's a joy for me to hear what he's saying and know what he's doing, know that there's somebody out there like him fighting for us and for our kids. Um, but I have a lot of questions because I want to know how to do this in the school district I'm in. See, I had to pull my son out of school uh, because it had just gotten too crazy and I couldn't subject him to that kind of mental conditioning and that kind of despair on a day in and day out basis. So I learned something cool. My son is, you know, he's in 10th grade um, or at least was going to be in 10th grade. He's now taking college classes. I didn't know I could do that. So that was kind of cool. Right. But that's not for everybody. And I, you know, I, I tell you the truth, we prefer that he's in with kids with no masks on, growing every day and building these wonderful relationships and these wonderful memories that we've all cherished, right? You, I mean, some of our high school days sucked, but some of them were pretty cool. And I, I wish he could have that experience. So Mark, I'm going to have some questions for you because I want to take the role of a parent as I am and know how I can fight back. So what can you tell us starting out? What can we do as parents to support people like you and join this fight? Well, a couple of things I think that are really critical because I know all the tools. I'm, I'm very well steeped in the tools that uh, larger district, especially, but even in smaller district schools and uh, superintendents and principals, administrators, and, and even school boards use to kind of make lip service mm -hmm. um, towards parents or even empathize with parents, but then they'll do, oh, but our hands are tied. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, uh, your hands are never tied. That's the first thing I want to tell every parent. All right. Because if you feel like your hands are tied, like you're being minimized and nobody's listening to you, that just means you're over the target. Mm -hmm. So the other thing, too, is that, you know, for the vast majority of parents, like 99.99%, similar to the under 18 under survival rate with <laughs> COVID, right? Right. Um, love their kids and and you as the parent are are their advocate your your duty as a parent is to be an advocate for your child if things aren't going well mm -hmm. and then the the duty of the school is to listen and do but the school doesn't always do that because uh, it's easier to um, abscond and blame mm -hmm. so a lot of times parents will quit because they they'll walk out of these meetings with with either school board or, or administrators feeling like they're crazy, like they've been made to feel that they're failing as a parent. 
and that's why their child isn't thriving or doing well. Right, right. And, and so I want parents to understand there's nothing farther from the truth with that. What it is a product of, it's a product of a school system that's so entrenched, so stuck in the one way, one size fits all, mm-hmm. that they actually don't know what to do. And you're, you're actually, in their mind, they think you're trying to say they're doing a bad job. Uh-huh. So you want to take that dynamic out. You want to say, I know you're doing a good job and I know you care about my kid, but this is what I see. Right. This is really important. This is what I see. And then make sure as a parent, you say, but I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. Now at home, it means my child doesn't want to get up in the morning and go to school and they cry at night and they're, they're having a lot of anxiety and it's creating disruption in the home. They're fighting with their siblings. Uh, That's what I see at home. What do you see here at school? Mm-hmm. And what that does is it causes the school system to have to respond differently because they're actually safe to tell you what they see. What they can say is, well, you know, we see some of the same stuff here at school. Mm-hmm. Oh, some anxiety and disruption class and wanting to leave, going to the bathroom, not coming back. I mean, a lot of the things that kids do when they're not doing well, those are avoiding behaviors. And then, then you have the opportunity to say as parents, hey, I think we should get a team together, principal, mm-hmm. teacher, right. and uh, let's get in, the, you know, let's get in one room and talk about this. And because we all need to work together to support the child. Amen. Yeah. Now, technically, all everything I'm saying should be coming from the school in because that's what we do in LC. We call them student study teams, and we do creative stuff. And we'll bring in extra helpers, you know, like uh, I don't know, maybe we need some skills support, or maybe we need uh, the art teacher. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you want to start, you want to create a healthy dialogue about what people see with your son or your daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and otherwise, what the school is going to do is they're going to see you as a liability, as someone mm-hmm. who uh, can point out where they fail. And then they will respond with that cold, callous stuff that you were talking about, or at least referencing right. in your intro. And the worst, the most, the biggest failure of public schools is that they're happy when people pull their kids. Wow. That's a tragedy. That is. If, if people are pulling their kids and it can happen in any system. I've had a, you know, when we, we just did as, you know, mass optional in LC and I had one parent pull her kid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I had 75 kids on the waiting list to come in. Right. And so I, I, I hope that parent comes back once this thing settles down because we, we don't want them to pull kids, but but those things happen, but it should be the exception and not the rule. Well, it, it sounds like what you've done also is you keep the door open, the light on for that parent too. You know, that's, oh, that's, yeah. their, that's their choice. And you say, you know, hey, I respect and I support that choice, whether it is. Some parents are going to choose to, you know, give their kids the shot. Some are going to say no. It's possible to support both. It's possible in a free society to say, you know what, I support both of you. I'm not going to choose a side here because there's no side for me to choose. I'm not the parent, right? <laughs> the parent gets to make those kind of calls. The parents get to call the shot. And I really appreciate what you said about, you know, the blame and shame game that they try to put on us and, and, mm-hmm. and, and how to get around it. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to recap a couple of notes that I just took here that number one, to be disarming, you know, and tell them, hey, I know you're doing a good job and I know you care about my kid, even if you don't think that, right? Because it's disarming. And then to be curious, hey, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? And then third, to be collaborative. Hey, let's get in a room together and let's talk about what the solution is for this situation so we can be a team 
that's working in the best interests of this young person, right? I mean, what a what a revolutionary idea you have there, Mark. I'm sorry. I see you're not supposed to laugh on radio, but you're <laughs> no, please do. Up. It's crazy, right? This is I mean, I am living in bizarro land sometimes, yeah. brother. Yeah. You know, so so listen. This is crazy talk, Doc. Crazy. Right. I know, I know, and I, I know, right? My good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, we could say a lot more about that. I think everybody that's listening feels us on that. But yeah, we're 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 here. We're we're right on the same page. Now, mm-hmm. now a part of your campaign that I'm I'm really excited about is the uh, school choice initiative. And I, I want to give you a chance to talk about that for a second, because I think what it does is it puts pressure on schools to do a good job instead of being rewarded financially for doing a poor job. What can you share with our audience about this uh, school choice initiative that you're, that you're championing? Well, um, the school choice initiative is another example of why we need new leadership in the Oregon state government. So that was, it was, um, a bunch, you know, 2,500 signatures were collected in less, you know, just a couple of weeks. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, I'm still getting signatures and nice. yeah, it's already been submitted. Uh, it went through the balloting process and then we got a hostile ballot title. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so we pushed back on that. And of course, you know, the attorneys representing the, uh, the tr- school choice petition or movement in education freedom pushed back on that. And then the secretary of state responded by saying, I'm throwing this out because it it's, it's, it tries to uh, amend two parts of the constitution. Mm-hmm. Now she did that without any formal DOJ review, which is unheard of. Wow. In, in, in all of my 20 plus years of engaging in governments between Washington state and Oregon state, mm-hmm. I have never seen a, such elementary, um, just brazen idiocy than mm-hmm. what I saw in the letter I got from Shamia Fagan, the secretary of state, because mm-hmm. she had to write it to me because I'm the chief petitioner. Mm-hmm. And she just, she just made these sweeping things that, you know, this doesn't, it's not constitutional because it, it tries to give money to religion. Which is, is she a judge? Is she a judge and appointed judge at the, in the Oregon Supreme court, Mark? No, no. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because. Oh, okay. I mean, I, she sounded like if she can I, say it's unconstitutional, it sounds like she's taking the role of a judge. I just, well, I, I was confused. I pointed that out. And, and here's the thing is, you know, the secretary of state has the power to make a, what they call a plenary decision. Mm-hmm. But usually if they're going to throw out a petition, they'll ask the department of justice to do a search of, you know, state Supreme sure. court rulings and, and to come up with some supportive information that supports her conclusion. Mm-hmm. The other thing that, that most secretary of states in the past would do is they would call the chief petitioner and say, mm-hmm. so why do you think this doesn't violate article one of the, Oregon wow, a little collaboration there. Yeah. Right? And I would have said, well, because the money never goes directly to a religious or a parochial school, it goes to a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then the parent decides where that money goes from there, whether it's a homeschool curriculum or whether it's a pod school or whether it's a, um, a Christian based school or whether it's a science, you know, like a discovery type school. Right. And so once it goes to the nonprofit, it's no longer government money. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you're not dedicating, the legislature isn't dedicating money to fund religion, which is what Article 1 talks about. Right. So her, her whole justification is inane. I, I almost, Dr. Ely, and I want the audience to understand that I'm a flawed human being. Mm-hmm. I almost sent her a box of crayons and my response. 
<laughs> well, I'm glad you didn't do that. I mean, it's hard sometimes. We have to maintain our professionalism, but I agree. Sometimes you just, I mean, you look at these people and you're like, what is so bad about parents deciding, getting getting to decide where their kids go to learn? I mean, the obvious, the obvious result of that, Mark, is that schools are going to have to step their game up because now that you create a competition for student dollars, which can only benefit education and only benefit the student and the parent experience with the education, with the public school education. I mean, this is this is a revolutionary idea. I love it, number one. And I, I think that it would I think that it would revitalize trust in our in our governance and our systems that we've lost clearly faith with. Um, where is that now? I know it's a it's a part of your campaign. Where is that uh, that initiative now? Well, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. So there's a there's a, a gentleman funder, and he's mm-hmm. a grandfather. And uh, I don't want to out him, but what a, he's a he's incredibly convicted. And he, mm-hmm. he's amassed some wealth and working for 80 some odd years in his life. And, and he has 27 grandkids that he's worried about. <laughs> Way to go, grandpa. Yeah. And this is grandparents, man. They rock. They're the and best. So he, he, he's like, well, all right, here's, here's some more cash. You get that attorney and you appeal that in court. And that's where we're heading right now. And I tell you, I just, I, I cannot wait. It's going to be such a fun part or process for me because I get to sit down with the attorney and we get to go into the appeals court and we get to say the secretary of state didn't follow a whole bunch of procedures, not to mention she's not, as you said, uh, a judge or a jury or nor is she a legal expert and she didn't consult the DOJ. And I have a feeling we're going to fare very well. But, you know, obviously there's a time timeline that takes some time to get that done. So we're in the process of that right now, getting getting that geared up. You know, it does take a long time for things that are good to come into existence, right? It, it really, it really does. It's why it's shocking to me. And I'm, I'm just going to, this is a little t- tangential right here, Mark. I, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is why it's shocking for me that the CDC changed how definitions to death certificates were reported on March 24th, 2020. And two days later, there was magical funding by the HHS that had been laid out so that people, hospitals that went along with it got a greater reimbursement through Medicare, Medicaid. Isn't that interesting that just two days later that happened? Because government getting good things, helpful things takes a while, you know? So, you know, I I just find that timeline is just tangent thing. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just thought it was interesting. Now um, we're coming up to the close here and I wish we had a little bit more time, but we're going to have to bring you back, right? Especially as you continue on the campaign trail and things like that, you know, um, you wanted to make a point. You, had, you mentioned something about, you know, integrity in our elections, right? We have to make sure there's integrity in our elections and the importance that the important role that county clerks play. What can, how can, you're an educator. Can you educate us as parents on the role county clerks play in the electoral process? Well, county clerks have always been important with elections. Obviously, they, they structure the collection of ballots and the appropriate accounting of them. And they're the ones who set the rules for chain of custody so that, you know, it's, it's a check and balance on fraud and making sure that every ballot gets counted, but not counted more than once and, mm-hmm. and make sure that signatures are verified and matched. And, you know, uh, that's that's been the traditional role, always important. But the uh, the legislature just passed a new law 
uh, without any public input in the last weekend of the session when the building was closed. Mm-hmm. We all know that. And uh, now you can vote up to eight days after the election. And I don't what? want to go into the yeah, what? That's story. Yep. This is in Oregon. You can vote. The election's over, but you can still cast ballots up to eight days after it's over. Yes. And um, the way it works is because you sign an attestation when you sign your ballot, they changed the language that said, I attest that that I voted on election day. And that can mean this is what I would have voted had I been actually remembered to vote on election day. Then you put it in your mailbox. It doesn't even have to have a postmark on it. Um, what? You, Wait, what? Yeah, you just put it in your mailbox. And and so this this has the potential to really create problems in voting because they're going to announce the results, the unofficial results on the election night. And let's say uh, I need 200 more votes to be governor. And that could cause some interesting behaviors in people on both sides of the aisle. So, you know, hey, we let's go make sure Fred down the road voted. And if he didn't, Fred, sail this out. <laughs> so Did so you ever this, see- is why, this is why county clerks are important. And here's why. Yeah. So county, and by the way, the election it goes on for almost a month after the election day now and counties have to pay for that. So the costs are way up, but county right. clerks get to, they have, they have tremendous power that under this law, they can decide which of those after election day ballots to uh, uh, count and which ones not to count. What? Now, does that sound pretty scary? What if you had a partisan uh, county clerk? Right. Maybe well, you had yeah. a progressive county clerk. Right. Said, okay. These are conservative. They're out. Right. These are progressive. They're in. Right. They That's... have that power and there's no check and balance. So we need to, as as conservatives and independents, people who are open minded and free thinking, it's not even a Republican Democrat thing. This is a this is a right versus wrong thing. This is an open mind versus Straight close up. mind. Straight up. So we and that's why I really wanted to say election integrity is critical. We need to have confidence in it. We can't be having shenanigans. And so we need to elect really, really high quality county clerks who are going to set rules for post-election day mm-hmm. uh, ballot collections that are fair and equitable, and they're not going to play uh, politics with people's vote. Now, Mark, I'm going to tell you, we have a lot of mama bears out there, and I love our mama bears out there. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds to me like they should start running for some of these county clerk positions. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And again, right? uh, people who want fairness and integrity, people who want to say that, you know, this is, this is reasonable mm-hmm. uh, rather than this is my side. And anyone who doesn't agree with me is out. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to end with this thought, Mark, and thank you so much for being here with us today. I know you have a super busy schedule. Thank you for taking some time to be with us today and, and to educate us on what we can do as parents. This has been incredible. I've learned so much here. Um, you made me think of the gangs in New York. You remember the Leo DiCaprio movie, right? <laughs> right. Yep. Where they were like, vote for Tammany, vote for Tammany. And they were rounding people up from, from the five points to take them to the vote, the voting ballot. And the guy comes out after he finishes voting and he says, where are you going? And he goes, oh, I was going to go get some food. He goes, how many times did you vote? Well, I already voted seven times. And he slaps him across the face, the other guy. And he goes, you only voted seven times. What are you talking about? Get your butt back in there and vote some more. <laughs> It reminds me that we're back at the five points right now. I mean, what are we going to have? Horses pooping in the street and people throwing babies out with the bathwater? I mean, what's mm-hmm. going on here, right? This is this doesn't, when things don't make sense, that's because they do make sense. It's wrong. That's yep. that's where it makes sense. It's wrong. So mama bears, I hope you're heeding the words from 
you know, our future governor in the great state of Oregon, Mark Thielman. All right. I hope you're heeding his words and I hope you're getting involved, getting involved where you can make a difference at the county clerk level, at the school board level, and that you make sure that what you want, the integrity you want can be heard in your local communities. All right, folks, that was a fantastic interview. And we're going to keep this really short today with my final thoughts. I'm going to throw the gauntlet down. If you can complain, then you can run for a county clerk or a school board position like uh, Superintendent Thielman was offering right there. That these are attainable goals for us that allow us to participate in our own governance and make sure that there are people of high integrity in these very important positions. One of the reasons why we're not getting what we want is because we've allowed other people who are easily corrupted, easily purchased to place themselves in these positions. And we can take those positions back. So I'm going to urge you to do that. If you can complain, then you can do something about it. So let's do something about it. And let's do that together. And for the right reasons, our kids. Folks, Remember that our path to victory has four divine challenges for us all. Number one, to take no offense. It's just a waste of energy. To speak truth and to have courage doing it. To be selfless because we have to show people a better way by leading by example. And to remain humble. There is no gloating. There is no victory lap for us. There's only a celebration of freedom won after a hard-fought battle. So to you, I say, thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for everything that you are. We are going to claim our country back. And once we claim it back, we got to make sure we never give it away to evil again. May our creator shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. I'm Dr. Henry Ely for the Energetic Health Radio and for the Energetic Health Institute. Until next week, aloha and adios.